Hey, it's Agrita Tantrao and you're listening to the Minds for of Everything podcast, which calls for the radical healing of the self and community that can allow us to outgrow cultures of scarcity and hyper-individualism so that we can move to more caring and regenerative ways of living and working in community. Today we're joined by the wonderful Katia Lovejoy to talk about making space for remembering ancestral ways of creating joy and building resilience in intergenerational healing. Yeah, we inherit the trauma, but we also inherit the resilience. And in some way, I mean, we wouldn't be here if our forebearers weren't resilient. And, you know, we're all born of two people coming together. I understand that's not always coming together in joy and love, but there's a lot of that in our lineage, right? And in some ways we might say that we've inherited more resilience than we have trauma because we're here. We wanna hold space for, for both of those things. I mean, healing is really about holding space for, for all of it, for the dichotomy, for the opposites, because to be human is to experience these dualities of grief and joy, of pain and of love. And that to be fully human is to allow those experiences and if we just get stuck in the darker sides of things you know the pain I, I really think it's important that we do bring attention there but it's not just that we're bringing attention to these places it's that we're bringing love Katia is a clinical hypnotherapist trauma coach and mental health educator who supports highly sensitive people to reclaim a sense of wholeness and empowerment after trauma she approaches trauma healing from an individual, ancestral, and collective lens and utilizes subconscious, somatic, and spiritual approaches to finding release and resolution. Katia is committed to the liberation and empowerment of all people and is on a mission to end the transmission of intergenerational trauma in families and communities by sharing the most effective modalities for sustainable transformation. Welcome, Katia, to the show. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, I'm so happy. And the first time we met, and even today, I feel like your energy is just one that is so calming. Um, and it always sort of holds space for the processing of other people's emotions. And I just feel that straight away. I felt that when I contacted you. I felt that when we first met and I still feel that. So I hope the listeners today are also able to feel that energy as they engage in the conversation. But before we begin, as we do with every single episode, I would love for you to join us in a small breathing sort of exercise that we do in this space and particularly sort of seeing how things are going in the new year for a lot of people. I feel like this is a great way to sort of bring yourself together to bring your attention to the body in particular and is a great way to actually accept that's a, a really important way to move forward uh, so I would love if you could join us in that I would love that sounds perfect thank you thank you so much so to begin it would be amazing if we could just close our eyes of course if you're able to do that if not then try to bring as much attention to the practice as you can So we're just going to take a few deep breaths in our own time and remember to take these throughout the exercise but also the episode as well as you're listening in. I understand a lot of us may be processing a lot of difficult things going on right now in our personal or professional lives and of course holding space for that is very important. But it is also equally important to give yourself and your body that time to sort of break away from that and allow yourself to sort of regenerate the inner resources that are necessary to continue on in our journeys of healing and working in community. First of all, just to start the exercise off, I would love if we could Focus on our surroundings and the space that is holding us in this moment right now. Notice the sounds around you. Notice the energy as well around you. 
as we've started this exercise, notice how the space is changing and adapting as you begin to bring that attention back to your body. So now we're just going to bring our attention to different parts of our bodies and help them sort of get to a relaxed state before we begin the guided deep breaths. So let's start off with our neck. So we're just going to take a few circles with our head, starting from the left. So gradually move your head to the left and then backwards to the right and repeat that. Now take those head circles to the right. Now we're going to move to the shoulders. So just lift your shoulders as well as your back up. Try to stretch your back as far as you can go. And then gradually push the shoulders back. And bring them down and repeat those in circular motions. Now we're going to move forward. So repeat that circular motion, but just bringing the shoulders up, forward, and down. Now, with your back, try to find a sort of state where you're not too upright and you're not too slouched. Somewhere that will help you get ready to continue on um, into the episode. Now we're going to bring our attention to our hands and um, our arms as well. So it doesn't matter what position they're in right now. It could be cupped together, on your knees. Just feel them relaxing. Release that tension. We're going to do a similar thing with our legs and our feet as well. So just loosen them up, get them really relaxed. And hopefully now you feel that you're a bit more relaxed and that your body is a bit more loose. It's not as tight in tension as it was before. Now we're going to take five deep breaths together. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Deep breath in. And deep breath out. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Take a deep breath in. And a deep breath out. Deep breath in and a deep breath out. Now in your own time, when you feel ready, gently open your eyes.
That was so beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) You have such a natural way of guiding. And I found myself yawning a bit, which to me is such a good sign that my nervous system is coming into balance. You know, some people find it offensive if other people yawn when they're (laughs) talking or guiding. But to me, it's a sign that, hey, this person's body feels safe enough to let its guard down. It feels relaxed enough in my presence to take that yawn. And so I thank you for guiding that for me. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And yeah, it's just something that I started last year, just like to trial it out. And it's always, always worked myself, but also for the guests. And um, I'm just grateful that it helped you so much in relaxing. Absolutely. Helps to really center the awareness. And I loved your invitation for folks listening to continue tapping into that deep breath, even as we go into the conversation, since we're going to be talking about some things that you know are trauma related. Exactly. It's really important to stay connected to the body and notice if the body's having a reaction to certain things um, that are being mm-hmm. listened to or heard and to meet those reactions with a deep breath. Yeah. And that's exactly why I love centering embodiment, particular in this space. Mm-hmm. It's just so important. And I also think it's a way that we can resist systems that are very head centric, right? They don't really care about what's going on below the head, to the heart, to the stomach, and anywhere else, mm-hmm. because that will not help feed or fuel capitalism and uh, consumerism right so when we actually break out of that and actually say yeah i do want to make that space for my body and for my body's needs it is an act of resistance on it on its own and it's so powerful and i think if we just incorporate that into our daily routines that will be amazing and will have amazing results as well but oftentimes we think we've internalized scarcity right like, oh, we don't have enough time. I don't, I don't have enough time to meditate for 30 minutes or I don't have time to um, do any sort of form of exercise or mm-hmm. anything related to the body because I need to think about that system, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then how much how much time we're consuming or I speak for myself on social media, right? Like I could have used yes. that time to <laughs> to nourish myself. But like you were saying, capitalism inherent to capitalism is this idea of looking externally that there's something fundamentally wrong with me and that I need to buy something or consume something to fill that void and when we can take the time to even just do this simple breath practice and feel the nourishment of that and feel how wow this calms my system maybe I don't need to go buy that next thing or exactly you know watch that next thing to distract me from my feelings maybe i can sit with them and nourish them on my own Mm -hmm. yeah amazing hope the listeners can sort of get a taste of what we're going to be sort of engaging in next so to begin the episode off it would be amazing if we could talk a bit about how you entered the space of ancestral healing in particular and your own sort of work in it, but it it would be amazing if we could just hear a bit about how you entered the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a lovely way to begin the episode to see the sort of journey that guests have been on. Absolutely. You know, since I was very young, something felt like it needed healing in me. Not that I had those words at the time. Something just felt I, I felt a sense of sadness and anxiety and pain that I couldn't really understand. And so I thought, well, let me study the brain and maybe then I'll figure that out. And as I was doing my studies in neuroscience, I realized, okay, this is really interesting, but it's still not answering the deeper questions that I have about my existence and how I am perceiving the world and interacting with the world. So Then I decided I wanted to become a therapist and I went and I got my master's degree in social work. And, um, you know, I know you're in England, I'm in uh, the US, our systems might be a little bit different, but um, here, once you finish your master's, if you want to go into 
counseling, you need to get a certain amount of clinical hours, supervised hours to get your license to be able to practice under that very specific title of psychotherapist. I started that process and still I felt like something was missing and I just didn't really fit into the model of therapy that I was trained in and also that I had received. I had been in therapy myself Mm -hmm. for many years and this talk therapy, right, which is very much a like a top-down approach you were mentioning earlier, you know, we're living kind of from the head in um, a capitalist society and and a lot of therapy is very heady. Um, and, and there's value in that, of course. You know, how do we think about the world? How do we perceive the world that comes from yep. our mind? But, you know, talking about our feelings and thinking about our feelings is not the same as actually feeling our feelings and processing our feelings. I agree. And I didn't have an understanding of that. And then by, you know, the luck of destiny or fate or whatever, spirit guiding, um, I found my way to a trauma-focused hypnotherapy school. And when I took that training and I ended up studying there for five years, that blew my mind open, blew my heart open. And it really help me understand that there's there's deeper things going on here you know they say only 5 to 10% of our experience is conscious right so that's 90 95% of our experience is being influenced by our subconscious and our unconscious so to only be talking about things from our conscious cognitive mind we're missing a lot mm. that's happening there and if we talk about like ancestral healing for instance if we're just focusing on the individual, right? My experience in this lifetime, my thoughts and my perceptions, that's not taking into account the influence that, you know, past generations might be ha- the experience that my past generations in my lineage had, how that might be influencing my perspective, my physical body, um, how I'm conceiving of the world. So I went in. I guess a non-traditional route, um, and became a, a clinical hypnotherapist. That just really opened up a lot for me in terms of looking at healing in a different way. I'd say non-traditional, but what does that what does traditional mean? Because if we really go back, back, back in time, like the original healing is really ancestral, is really communal, is really working with. Mm-hmm multiple states of consciousness. So I guess when I say non-traditional in this context, I mean like beyond Western. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. And from my own personal experience, I feel like conventional therapy or what we say is traditional, but again, there's Mm -hmm. tensions in using um, traditional there. It is really individualized. And there's this, I think it's clouded actually by this illusion of isolated time and space where everything is very individualized to the point that not enough space is being held to process how your experiences as a human being, as a relational being, are influenced by generations, right, that are connected to your lineage and their traumas and their experiences and their ways of coping. I think that complexity is just, is is missing from the clinical model. And it's something that is so, so important that we understand. And oftentimes when we are talking about generational traumas, a lot of therapists take that as an opportunity to blame parents or grandparents, older generations, right? Their sort of internalized behaviors and how they carried that forward for younger generations, pass them down, but also enforced as well. And that's where, that's where the divide comes in between older generations and newer ones, the past and the present, but also the self and community, mm-hmm. when in fact none of these things were separate and they aren't and they shouldn't mm. be yet, I guess, to work in this sort of capitalist society. Perhaps that's why they take that individualized approach to make it easier for people to understand. I don't have no clue, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I understand as a as a therapist in itself, it's, it's very difficult to introduce those things. But I also think that if we could do it, mm. you know, thousands of years ago, then we have that capacity to do that now. Absolutely. And 
you know, you mentioned this tendency to blame our parents or previous generations. And, you know, blame has a lot of emotion in it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's totally fair to feel angry and disappointed and grief around the messages and the experiences that, you know, have been passed down in your lineage. And it's really just about noting what what has happened and and acknowledging the influence that yeah the places where previous generations maybe weren't resourced and had their own difficulties that the results of that have been passed down and have created harm in you know my body for instance your body you know this generation exactly. and can we hold compassion as well as responsibility that there was maybe some responsibilities of our parents or grandparents that they did not meet to meet the needs of a growing child, right? They did the best that they could with what they had. And it's also real that there are impacts that might make life feel challenging now. Yeah. And that's why I always do emphasize on the difference between blaming and also holding someone accountable. Exactly. Because accountability, as you mentioned, it ha it creates and that space for compassion, for understanding that yes, the cultural norms that you grew up with in that particular generation were quite different to what exists now. And yet we can still bridge that divide with compassion and with understanding. Of course, if the other person is ready to be held accountable and then uh, engage in reparation work. I, I think a lot of people who've experienced trauma from parents or other older generations, people who have experienced severe trauma can sometimes have difficulty in the idea of holding compassion um, and hold and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think anybody needs to forgive. Yeah. I think that sometimes, a lot of times forgiveness is the end result of a healing process, but it's not necessary. And I think for those people, it's important to recognize that when we're talking about the accountability piece, or rather, I'm sorry, the compassion piece of recognizing the trauma that these people went through, that's not an excuse. It's a reason. And there's a difference between excuse and a reason, and there's no excusing it. But it's just acknowledging, yeah, this is something that happened that has effects. Mm -hmm. And that level of understanding can help us heal understanding what those previous generations went through and what's been passed down through our lineage can give us a sense of context even for what we might be experiencing that without that understanding it might feel very confusing some of the things that we're experiencing this really came to me on an experiential personal level last year when russia invaded ukraine on february 24th or i guess is that now two years ago? My goodness. I'm Ukrainian. And the reaction that I had in my body was really surprising to me. Um, and around that time, my landlord terminated my lease. And I completely freaked out. My nervous system got so dysregulated. And it was a very interesting experience because I was pretty safe, you know, like nobody's bombing my home. And yes, I have to leave my home. But I recognize that there was something ancestral being triggered there that my grandparents had to leave their homes because of bombing, you know, because of um, occupation. And they lost everything. They had to leave everything. And that was present in my own body. And I, yeah. I had started a support group for Ukrainians in the diaspora and we had members all over the world. And it was really interesting to hear all of these people expressing something similar and a confusion around it. Like, um, we're not there. We're completely safe. Why are we having this experience? And I think it is that trauma that we carry, even genetically, like even in our bodies, you know, our, we would spend time in those sessions, you know, focusing on the body, just like we did at the beginning of this episode and recognizing that like this body is an extension of Ukrainian soil. And so for me to heal this body is to also be healing my motherland. And I think that that can be appropriate for, of course, any people who have been displaced or whose homeland is being destroyed. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, um, it actually reminds me of something that you said the first time that we met, which kind of stuck to me, was how traditional therapy spaces, they often separate psychology from ecology. And I think that the way you've described that beautifully sort of yeah embodies the connection actually between psychology and ecology and it, the individual and community, that even though you're not right now currently experiencing the human rights violations going on in Ukraine, it is in your body how you're able to respond to that, cope to that, mm-hmm. and also build that resilience. It is in you, it is in your body, and that has been passed down to you. And I think that's, yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it, actually. And, you know, right now we're just talking about our lineage, but it also extends to... For example, the more than human and other beings who are kin as well. This whole big system that we call Earth and how the Earth is also connected to the solar mm-hmm. system and other other celestial bodies and the system as well. And then the universe, every single thing is working together. So it makes so much sense to me to be talking about, in this case, intergenerational traumas and healing. You know, because if if everything is connected... Mm-hmm. And if one single thing in the system goes wrong, the entire system feels it. If we are talking about something that is, you know, like our lineage and we're biologically related to all of these generations that came before us, of course, that would, you know, whatever is going wrong in that sort of system, you would feel it. Consciousness is not bound by the laws of time and space. And so we feel things that happen not to our own body, right? Like you were just saying in our lineage, but also just collectively, you know, I've heard Mm -hmm. women who finally find their voice and unleash a rage that is not just their rage. It is the rage of all women, you know, who have been oppressed. Exactly. There's a study, I think, I wish I had the right reference. Maybe we can fact check it later, but through Harvard, I believe that looked at the consciousness of the spider and essentially the spider's consciousness extends to its web and so if something happens to the web not to the spider's body the spider can perceive that and react to it and really our consciousness is is like a web too right absolutely the larger than human world or family that we are a part of and then the larger human family that we are a part of if we're really connected to our hearts then we will feel the pain of you know people who are experiencing genocide from palestine to ukraine to the congo to everywhere you know we to be awake and alive is to feel that we are all connected Thank you so much for actually sharing that analogy of the spider's web, particularly because we don't see insects, um, or at least science mm-hmm. doesn't see them as sentient, you know, or, or having that consciousness. Mm-hmm. So it was great that you integrated that. But I'm also thinking about how you mentioned compassion, right? Particularly within the context of accountability and how intimately tied compassion is with joy, which is something that I actually wanted to center in this episode, Mm. particularly because oftentimes when we are talking about ancestral healing, Mm. we do talk about the traumas and we do talk about the internalized behaviors that we sort of carried forward and how that's negatively impacted our bodies, how that's shaped our experiences and the ways in which we cope. I understand that that's very important and that is a big part of accountability as well. But I also understand that the ways in which our ancestors or grandparents or our parents have engaged in work in sort of creating these moments and spaces of joy and happiness and resilience is also something that we inherit. I think that angle is often not looked into as much when we are talking about ancestral healing. I mean, healing in itself carries a lot of joy and relief and it is all about resilience but it is also about happiness right 100 percent. and that's that's something that i think we definitely need to look into further to bridge that generational divide as well absolutely yeah we inherit the trauma but we also inherit the resilience mm-hmm. and in some way I and mean, we wouldn't be here if our forebears weren't resilient and you know we're all born of 
two people coming together. I understand that's not always coming together in joy and love, but there's a lot of that in our lineage, Mm -hmm. right? And in some ways we might say that we've inherited more resilience than we have trauma because we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed that we want to hold space for, for both of those things. I mean, I think healing, and we had talked about this before in a previous conversation that healing is really about holding space for, for all of it, for the dichotomy, for the opposites, because to be human is to experience these dualities of grief and joy, mm-hmm. of pain and of love. And that to be fully human is to allow those experiences. And if we just get stuck in the darker sides of things, you know, the pain, I I really think it's important that we do bring attention there. But it's not just that we're bringing attention to these places. It's that we're bringing love. Yeah. It's that we're bringing compassion to those places of pain. And so in order to heal, we have to tap into that higher energy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think if therapy spaces were actually facilitating that shift in narrative to joy and happiness, I think it would change people's perspective to therapy so much. Because oftentimes when we think about therapy, a lot of people don't even go into that because they feel that they don't have the capacity to process all of these traumas. And it is a really dark and difficult process. But if we shift that narrative and we say, well, actually, we will also be talking about ways in which you yourself have worked on creating joy in your own lives, but also perhaps how your parents, if you if you do have that relationship with them, of course, not everyone has that. And I totally acknowledge that. But if your parents, if you do have that relationship with your parents and you have seen how they've engaged in creating joy for themselves and how perhaps your grandparents have done that as well, then that can bring so much power when you are actually going into those areas and aspects in your life that are quite dark and do need a lot of power Mm -hmm. and strength to process. Yeah, I just started with a a new client the other day who you know, had done traditional talk therapy before and was very reluctant to talk about their history. And their comment was like, well, what's the point of just going, I could cry about it, but like, what is the point? And I said, you know, we're not going there for just the hell of it. (laughs) You know, we're going there to, to bring something beautiful there. We're going to those memories to bring love and to bring compassion and to bring healing there. You know, memories, you know, we, we've spoken about time being a construct a little bit, right? Research shows that memories are not static. In fact, memories change every time we access them. So we can be very intentional in yep. going into these past stories, whether that's something that happened in mm-hmm. our lives or in our uh, lineage. And when we bring a new perspective there, when we can bring understanding and compassion and love, we actually change that memory in our mind. Now, we can't necessarily change the things that happen, but we can absolutely change our relationship with them. And and a lot of times that includes, you know, tapping into more understanding and compassion for our ancestors. And like you said, maybe even the joy that they carried. If we're focusing on ancestral trauma, we may only think that our ancestors only experienced pain all the time. And the reality is, is that no, there was joy, there was laughter, there was healing, you know, and um, it's it's very important to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. I love how you talked about intention. And every single time we do go back to a memory, a new perspective is often brought out from that as we progress in this in this journey of healing and finding ourselves and navigating the world as it is. And this actually makes me think of nostalgia, which is something that I feel, and I've said it in, you know, in this space, and I also mentioned it in my website. Nostalgia is something for me that has been such a powerful healing force, particularly processing uh, my childhood traumas And actually looking back to that time where I knew I did experience moments of joy and happiness, but because the pain for me at that point, I remembered it as a very painful period, I didn't want to look back. But then COVID came around and then I started rediscovering some of the songs and 
certain styles that I would wear as a child of that time, I started seeing those memories in a completely different light. Mm. And I thank nostalgia for that. For me, nostalgia is a mix of your intuition, but also guidance of the ancestors as well as you transition into new phases in your life. Mm -hmm. So nostalgia for me is very, very close. And it's something that you also mentioned in our previous conversation, particularly ancestral nostalgia, which is something we haven't explored in this space. And I would love to explore it with you. What power can ancestral nostalgia provide us when we are trying to go through the sort of complexities of ancestral healing? I think it goes back to what you were saying about bringing in the resilience, remembering that as part of it as well. And, yeah. you know, if trauma is something that expresses through the body and we feel that today, even the ancestral trauma, well, that resilience and that the power of those ancestral practices can be reawakened within us that's still with us as well and we might feel cut off to it but if we can access that nostalgia i love your use of that word here and reconnect with some of the ancestral ways of you know finding joy of being in connection i think about for me and in, in my ancestry like I really geek out on looking at Ukrainian embroidery yeah. and I'm like trying to practice oh, embroidery, that's that's <laughs> you know, like as, as an art form. Yeah. And yeah. learning about it um, or the ways that are your ancestors in your particular lineage, maybe danced or sang. like you mentioned the songs from your childhood. Well, what about the songs from the culture, right? That it's interesting. Sometimes you can hear an ancient song and there is a remembering, even though you've never heard that song, you may not even understand the language. There can be the stirring in the body. It is like that uh, ancestral nostalgia, mm -hmm. remembering this connection, a positive connection to a culture that maybe through colonization and just the way that the world has unfolded, we might feel disconnected from it. But that lives inside of us, that we can remember it and tap into that, like you were saying, intuition and that joy and let that be a resource. And so I think a lot of ancestral healing is looking at your ancestral ways. Like, where did your people come from? What was the land like there? How did they interact with the land? Um, what songs did they sing? What kind of clothing did they wear? And even just learning about that can really create a sense of connection and and like grounding into something larger where i think a lot of our pain as colonized people and displaced people you know in the uk so many people from all over right same with the us when most of us are not in, yeah, from here um one generation or another and so there's this longing i think in us a longing for belonging mm -hmm. and yes we need to look at that on a community level like how do we find that belonging with people around us physically right now? But also I think the ancestral belonging and the belonging to our homeland, even if we don't live there, how do how can we connect to that and find that sense of home within ourselves? Like I really like the metaphor of this body being an extension of the earth of your homeland, you know? So you connecting to this body is connecting to your ancestors. In the previous episode, we were talking about regenerating hope and I sort of integrated body politics, the so feminist body politics, and how they argue that the body in itself is the most intimate and finite political space that there is. Mm. And it's very beautiful to see how that, like the finest space of our bodies interacts with other bodies and um, how we work together to resist and to transform these systems. So I was kind of taking that into um, activism and grassroots sort of movements as well. And yeah, that was something that sort of came up in my mind when you were talking about the body and understanding its place in the system, but also how the body in itself is a system too. You know, oftentimes when we're talking about all of like capitalism and heteropatriarchy and all of and colonialism, mm -hmm. 
we think, oh my God, these systems are so big. How can anyone resist them? How can anyone um, change that reality that we're in? When in fact, our bodies, ourselves, our systems, and and it's amazing how we experience that system every single day. You know, if anything goes wrong in it, we're able to find out and we work on it. So if you are talking about something that is so big, and oftentimes it's it's scary for people to even imagine, but we need to understand that if we can work with ourselves and our bodies as systems, then collectively we can work in um, repairing those things on a larger scale. But also the thing you talked about on remembrance, uh, particularly when we are looking at our cultural songs and uh, styles and just the way that our ancestors worked with the land as well, that has all to do with the body. It's just amazing how they understood these concepts before even giving them a name. And they hope that we future generations would continue on understanding that without that need of labeling it, is this something that you, it's a cultural practice that you just engage in. Mm-hmm. But because we are living so far away from that land as people of the diaspora, it can seem so challenging mm-hmm. because you have this culture that you're having to assimilate into, but you also have that part of you that has sort of gotten left in that land but you need to somehow connect back to it when you're so, so physically far away from it. Mm -hmm. But that's why I say that everything is political and it has to do with politics. Obviously, um, when we are talking about the Russia and Ukraine war, that is a political thing in itself. But just the act of connecting to people that live before you and the people that will live after you and the people that are living with you now, that is so political Mm -hmm. and that has so much power in it. You know, we talk about politics as being something that is just uh, undefeatable. You can't do anything about it. There's just so much power and privilege tied to that. When in fact, our own existence, like existing, is a political act. 100%. Yeah. And if we see it that way, I think we can just feel so much power. Especially when we're talking about genocide, which is just happening to, to way too many people across the globe for way too long. The point of genocide is to eradicate an entire people. And so for us to hold on to our language, to hold on to our songs and our culture and to dance and to find joy, that is an act of resistance to a force that wants to exterminate us. And we can even, you know, take that further to talking about capitalism, for instance, right? When we hold on to our connection to our bodies, when we make space for rest and for play and for pleasure, right? That is kind of staking our existence, right? It's affirming that we are here to exist on this planet, not to be completely eradicated by work, right? Or these ideas of who we're supposed to be. Just staying stuck in the cycles of survivorship as well. Exactly. It is, yeah. Oftentimes people think you need a certain level of privilege to even do that, Mm -hmm. to even imagine beyond that reality of survivorship, that only certain people who live in certain cultures and spaces and places are allowed to break out of that. I do think it's harder for some groups in certain situations because when you're experiencing threat, existential threat on a regular basis, then your nervous system is going to constantly be on alert. And so that is a physiological program of survivor, yeah, survivorship, right? And so I think that really needs to be acknowledged. You know, that does, it's hard to feel trauma when you're going through it. And the power is that like, it is in our own bodies. It's our bodies reacting to things. So can we find pockets of time and space to work on bringing safety back into the body, right? Maybe it's not going to feel like that 24 seven, right? Yeah. But can we make the time and space to tend to ourselves? Because that's really the ancestral trauma is like a nervous system dysregulation. And so 
what, like I said before, we can't change the things that have happened in the past and we can't necessarily change the things that are happening on the other side of the world because we are connected in this web, right? And because the trauma is expressing itself through our own bodies, we do have the ability to tend to this body. And hopefully that can have a ripple effect. And what I mean by that is when we are regulated in our nervous system, we are able to be more open-hearted and we are able to connect. Trauma is a, is a condition of disconnection. Mm-hmm. And so for us to really come together and make change, we need to connect. And so our healing is not just of the benefit of ourselves. Yeah. It is really of the benefit of all beings. And forwards and backwards in time, there are certain Native American traditions that say that when we heal ourselves, we heal seven generations into the future and seven generations into the past. Now, I can't tell you why. I don't really fully understand that, but I love the concept. Yeah. It kind of makes sense on an intuitive level even though I might not be able to scientifically explain it, right? I find when I hear that, there's a sense of hope and there's a sense of even peace, right? That, wow, I can I can really have an impact just through my own healing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And someone, I believe, needs to step forward to break cycles of trauma. Mm-hmm. And someone will always do that. And if you have the capacity to do that, it would be amazing if you could step forward and actually at least begin the work. Because I know people in my family, for example, my parents, there's so many things that they chose to break break out of so that me and my sister wouldn't inherit that internalization of certain behaviors. And it's very inspiring to see them do that. And they done that at a time where they just were completely depleted of their inner resources, where hope was very scant as well. But they done that because they could see that future generation right in front of their eyes. And they told themselves, no, I can't do that. And they broke it. So I think when we are talking about generational work and healing work, it has a lot to do with inspiration. Mm inspiration from within, but also inspiration from those that are closest to us, from the spaces that we occupy. Nature as well, nature is all about getting inspiration from different places to build that resilience and to adapt to changes. I think inspiration is another powerful living force that actually helps us get through changes and transitions. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's inherent to that spark of life force energy that's in our hearts that, you know, we see in nature everywhere, right? That life force energy that's breathing the seasons and um, the interconnectedness of all beings. And I think that's why people find nature so inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. You feel completely at home. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no form of judgment. And of course, there's a lot of, I mean, out in the wild, for example, our kin out in the wild, it is all about survivorship, right? They don't have even that space to stop. They're constantly going forward. But even they have periods of rest. Even they have times where they hibernate. Mm-hmm. You know, they collect all of the external resources and bring them in to a safe space. And then they rest. Of course, that that's taking sort of mammal-centric approach um, to resilience and to... <laughs> capacity building but i think it's a beautiful metaphor and it and it goes to us too because we're nature and nature is us this system that we're living in and the cities for example the urban spaces that we are in and we occupy they sell us a different story that humans are the superior ones um humans are even animal again it's, it's a way to resist that right when we go into nature spaces and then we look up at the trees or even the sky and the birds are flying over and It just makes you realize just how similar we are by our vulnerabilities, by our life experiences, by the way we grieve, by the way we celebrate. Everything is just, as you said, so interconnected and it's so shared, right? There's nothing that is completely new. Every single thing that we've experienced now, generations before have experienced that, different species have experienced that and continue to experience it too. And I think that really helps you feel that you're not alone, you know, in this work, that 
everyone is engaging in it in some way. And I think being in nature even connects us to that ancestral nostalgia. Yeah. There is this just remembrance, right? You don't have to figure out how to be in nature, right? You don't have to figure out how to be inspired when you're looking at a sunset um, or seeing the breeze move through the trees, right? It's just a deep embodiment because our species has been in deep connection with nature for millennia, only until Mm -hmm. very recently in historical context that we've been disconnected. And so, you know, for listeners who might be feeling confused about, well, how do I do this ancestral healing or tap into the ancestral nostalgia or the resilience? Well, yeah, just going outside can be a first step for that and recognizing that, that your body has evolved over millions of years, really, to be in deep connection with this earth, with this nature. And you're reconnecting when you allow yourself to be present out there. Exactly. And when we are talking about ancestral work, we should also refer to the ancestors that go beyond our lineage, that go beyond our species. Coming from my perspective as a, as a Hindu and the teachings that I've gotten from my parents through the, through the Hindu faith, we do believe that at one point we were a tree or a bird or even just like, you know, like a bacteria. So if we were one of them, we have that remembering, we have that wisdom from all of these different lineages, right? That are not just human, Mm -hmm. that I like to call more than human. And if we carry so much of that, we also carry the ways that we work through life, the ways that we create joy, the ways that we Mm -hmm. work in community. So our body has all of that. And when we go in nature, it's just a way for us to remember those, those ways of all these different walks of life. And uh, yeah, I just think it's amazing. And I guess from a scientific perspective as well, that makes sense. We are related to all these different beings. I mean, even our landscapes are agentic and they're animate. Mm -hmm. So everything is alive. Everything is engaging in this work. And because we are all connected, right, in this very large web of human and more than human beings, we don't, not just one of us has to save the whole world. Yeah. You know, we can just do our little part, right? And that's not to say we, we can just absolve ourselves of any responsibility, right? We must do our own part. But our part is the only part we have to do. Mm -hmm. And if everybody does, you know, cleans up their little corner, then hopefully the entire system will find an equilibrium. And I agree, you know, we're we're trying to figure that out now. We're we're wobbling and figuring that equilibrium out. Yeah, and we're doing that together. Mm -hmm. Katia, I feel like this conversation can just keep on flowing. Uh, There's there's no end and I I don't want it to end. Of course, we do have the restriction of the time um, for episodes. To be continued. (laughs) Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You're always welcome to come back on. But just to bring this episode to a wrap, I think it would be amazing if you could describe the ways in which you help for this creative, I would say, integration of ancestral ways of healing, but also new ways. Because the ways in which we engage in healing work mm-hmm. that will look a bit different to what our ancestors or what the older generation engaged in. And that is perfectly fine, but it's mm-hmm. also important because as time goes on, traditions change, um, perspectives change. And of course, we do need to do that to adapt to new times. How are you sort of allowing for that integration? to happen so that space is made for both these old and new ways of healing yeah as a clinician as a provider for me it's really about listening being fully present with the person in front of me and really it's tapping into my intuition and their intuition and there's a co-creation that we do together and the deep listening provides a space to witness what modality might be most helpful in a given moment. So maybe it is, you know, psychotherapeutic technique that's been developed in the last hundred years, right? That is very effective. There's a lot of great things out there. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it is an invitation to explore some ancient rhythms in the body. 
or even just dropping the energy from the mind into the body. Yeah. Um, it's hard to describe. I think sometimes about how might I, you know, one of my dreams is to maybe have a, a training school where I train people in, in doing this kind of work. And I, I'm still trying to figure it all out myself. So much of it is intuitive. Um, but we all have that intuition. And so even in our own healing, it's like mm-hmm. doing a practice such as we did at the beginning of this episode to to quiet the mind, to drop in and then to listen, you know, what do I need right now? Or what does this emotion need from me? Or what does this body need in this moment? And follow the intuition and also reach out for support because while nobody can do our healing for us, we're not meant to do this healing alone. And so sometimes we do need that inspiration from another person um, or a podcast episode, right? That kind of sparks something or a book. It's really just so much about being open and, and tapping into our innate curiosity. And when we're able to feel that connection to self and to be open and curious and compassionate, we will find our way to the type of healing that we need in any given moment. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katia, for that. And it is so true because a lot of the healing work that we do has to be sort of individual, but you cannot do it in an isolated manner. Mm-hmm. We have a finite amount of resources, inner resources especially, and for those to regenerate, we do need to have people that are supportive around us who respect our pace in which we do this work. And yeah, we need that constant supply of inspiration mm-hmm. from somewhere. I am so grateful that you could provide that today to the listeners and also your clients and just whoever is in your life. Um, I feel like you are you are providing that inspiration constantly. You're being that source of inspiration. But I also do hope that you also have other sources of inspiration around you. And I understand that this work can be very depleting. And it's something that I think people don't understand as much, right? As therapists, is a lot to process. And you have so many different stories coming all together in that space that you're holding for people. It is very difficult work. So I do also hope that you have your spaces to recuperate and to recharge and to come back into the work. I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still figuring it out. Um, Yeah. I think we're all always figuring it out. Even though I've been doing this work for 15 years, I think in the beginning, it was the sense of I'm going to save the world. And then just as you mature and you get experience mm-hmm. and you recognize how things really are, they are this web, right? Yep. And we can um, work with others to to do this work and then also to receive. Um, so I'm still learning and even just being in this conversation with you has felt restorative for me and um, nourishing. And so I want to thank you for having me and for for guiding this this time. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to bring guests like you onto this podcast. I'm so grateful for all of you giving that time and and also your knowledge and and the ways in which you navigate this world to this space and to the listeners as well. So thank you so much. And as I mentioned before, you are always welcome onto this space again. um, I can already start seeing the ways that we could collaborate in the future this work is so expansive and it goes into so many different areas and if we could cover a few of them in this space it would be an amazing thing for me but also for the listeners as well yeah i'm excited for the future possibilities thank you so much for opening the door to this connection and this conversation it's been a lot of fun thank you for listening to the mindful of everything podcast A very big thank you again to Katia for holding space for me as we connected during this period of grief and mourning for my family after the recent loss of my grandfather. And I really do hope that you're all able to feel the warmth and safety of Katia's presence and vision as you tune in to this episode. To stay updated for the recent releases for the podcast and to connect with inspiring guests like Katia, subscribe to the podcast and follow the show on Instagram and Facebook. Don't forget to give a rating on iTunes so that the show can reach other wonderful humans like you who also enjoy engaging in conversations held in this space.
To find out more about Katia's work and to access her services, as well as full episode resources and show notes, visit mindfuloveverything.com. Thank you all for being a part of the Mindful of Everything community and hope to see you here again next month.